A good narrative Shabbos to our friends and members of the West Mount Shul. This Shabbos is Parshas Pinchas, and every year Parshas Pinchas begins the three weeks Bein Hametzorim, in which we mourn for the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. So I want to discuss Pinchas a little bit. I want to explain why Pinchas is the Parsha that begins the three weeks. Pinchas is, we also know from tradition, is Elio Hanavi. So it makes sense to start the three weeks with Pinchas because Pinchas is, through his behaviors in his lifetime, merited to become Elijah the prophet who will bring us to the redemption. So we have to learn something from Pinchas in order for us to be able to bring the redemption as well. And I want to share with you a couple questions from Rev. Ruven Karlenstein, Zichron Levracha, and an analysis of my own on this topic. And we know that Pinchas was given for his heroic uh, behavior in last week's Parsha of killing the prince and the Midianite princess, the Jewish prince and the Midianite princess, killed in public, and he was able to stop the rebellion, and the plague stopped. So in this week's parsha, Hashem says what the reward of Pinchas will be, and he receives a bris shalom, a covenant of peace, and as well the Mephorshim explain a long, long life that he really doesn't ever actually die, so to speak. So we have to think about this. What must a person do to get such a great reward of a brief shalom? Well, the Torah does not leave it up to our imagination. The Torah tells us exactly why. It says, Tachas, because Asher for he was zealous for his God. So if Kalstein asks two questions, Question number one, it should have said, Asher kine leloikim. He was zealous for Hashem. Why does it say for his God? Question number one. Question number two, if I would ask you, why did Pinchas get this fantastic bris and the Torah would not have given us an answer, what answer would we have said? Well, Based on a medrash in last week's parsha, we are told that Hashem performed 12 miracles for Pinchas. And had none of these miracles happened, if any of them would have been missing, so to speak, Pinchas would not have been able to carry out his activity and would not have been saved. I'm not going to go through all 12 but it's a good thing to look up. It's towards the end of Parshas Bullock in the Medrash, uh, the regular uh, Medrash Rabbah. But let's just do a couple of them. Remember, the ability of Kanoim Poigimbo, a zealot can kill a person who is having intimacy with a non-Jewish woman against Halacha. You're only allowed to kill them if they're in the middle of their act. As soon as they stop their act, you cannot kill them. So the first miracle is that 
they uh, if they would have seen when Pinchas went into their tent, Cosby and Zimri, they would have separated from each other. But Amalek caused them to be together. Also, they would have shouted and screamed and people would come to their aid. But Amalek shut their mouth. And then we go on with all kinds of different miracles that were necessary for him to get them out of the tent with the spear that's through them. The spear wasn't long enough. The Mal- Hashem elongated it. The spear wasn't able to, you weren't able to take the bodies and the spear out of the tent. It was not big enough. Hashem made the tent bigger. And probably the most important miracle is that when Pinchas came out and he had killed the perpetrators, the Jews wanted to kill Pinchas. And what happened? They wanted to kill him and Amal came down and attacked him and defended Pinchas. So what do we see? When Pinchas started this activity, there was no way he could succeed. Either he wouldn't be able to kill them, or if he killed them, he couldn't bring them out of the tent. And he certainly would have been killed by everybody there. So if I would ask you, we'd say, why did Pinchas get the Bri Shalom? You would say because he was Moser Nevesh. He was willing to risk his life. That's why you say, what's this idea? Asher kine leloikov. He was zealous for his God. These are the questions that Rav Karlenstein asks. And he answers with a beautiful muscle, very simple muscle. I'll just modify it a little bit. Let's say a Jew, a, a Jew comes into shul full of people and another Jew comes along and embarrasses him loudly and publicly and in front of everybody. And everybody hears the embarrassment and every there's a hush in the crowd. Everyone's afraid to start up with this bully who's yelling at this fellow. And then comes one Jew who comes up and he, uh, he, 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 he verbally attacks back this person and basically takes him out of the game. He yells back and he shuts him down and he's not bothering this person anymore. So people are surprised. He says, oh, that guy must have been brave. Helping a, helping a person like that when nobody else wanted to help. So somebody says, it's not a surprise. It was the guy's father. <laughs> so obviously the fa- father's going to help him and he's not concerned about what's going to happen. Uh-huh. So if if there's a problem, if there's a problem and someone is insulted, everybody's saying, I don't know. I don't know if I want to get involved. There's repercussions. I got to think it through. I got to make a commission. We have to have a committee and let's decide what to do. But if you know that the person that's being harmed is your child or your father or whatever, someone that you love, who's thinking? You got to stop what's happening. And that's the way it is in any situation in life. Let's say a husband and wife are somewhere and someone verbally assaults your spouse. You're going to start making cheshboinus. You're going to do what you can to, to protect your spouse. And therefore... Although there may be Mesiris Nefesh involved, but that's not the point. Because the point is, you're not even thinking about the Mesiris Nefesh. 
if you already have to start thinking of Mesiris Nefesh, then you got to start thinking. And then maybe you might think not to, or if I am going to be Mesir Nefesh, is it worth it? Is it this? Is it that? And this is what the Pusik is emphasizing. You want to know why Pinchas got this reward? Number one, he, rated, he related to Hashem as not Elohim God, but Elohim his God. And when you feel Hashem is your God, and you see there's an affront to your God, there's no such thing as thinking if it's dangerous or not. You don't even get to that point of Mesiris Nefesh. It's not a question of me deciding to be Moiser Nefesh or not. It's my God and this is intolerable. And just do what has to be done without any out. So we see a very interesting Yisod over here. That there are people who are capable of being Moiser Nefesh, but not necessarily because it's their God. That's not because the Torah would, would have emphasized something else. It just said he was zealous for his God. That was the Yisoyed. And not Moiser Nefesh. It's possible, Rabbi Yisoyed, to find people who are Moiser Nefesh for mitzvahs. But why are they Moiser Nefesh? Is it because it's for their God? Or maybe it's to uh, continue a lifestyle that you're used to having. Yeah, you'll be Moiser Nefesh to continue to learn when times are difficult. You know why? Maybe because that's the only thing you know what to do is to learn. Sometimes you feel good about doing certain things. There's a lot of Goyim who are Moiser Nefesh for things that they believe. If you believe in a cause, you'll be Moiser Nefesh. People are Moiser Nefesh to go to work, to make money. It's not Mesiris Nefesh is not the criteria. It is what? To be zealous for your God, meaning to say you cannot, you do not want Hashem to suffer. You see Hashem wants something done, or Hashem has been insulted. You say, I got to fix it, and it's what I would call the pre-Mesiris Nefesh stage. A Mesiris Nefesh is one thing, and the higher level is you're not even thinking about Mesiris Nefesh. It's not even into the thought process. It's like, I cannot live with this situation the way it is. And this is the greatness of Pinchas. And this is what we have to think about in terms of the Churban Beis Amigdosh. If you know a little bit of your history, when the two Bate Mikdashim were destroyed, we'll start with the first one. Were there not Jews who were Moiser Nefesh to defend Yerushalayim? Were there not Jews who were Moiser Nefesh to defend the Beis Hamikdash when the Babylonians came in and to destroy the Beis Hamikdash? The Jews didn't let them walk in. You know, it's very interesting. If you look at the history, really, Nebuchadnezzar was not necessarily interested in destroying the Beis Hamikdash. The problem is, if the Jews would have made a truce with him, he would have been fine. In general, non-Jews are not interested in destroying a holy site. There's a lot of benefits they can get from it. But if we now all of a sudden are revolting. So there may have been a lot of Mesiris Nefesh 
There may have been a lot of brave soldiers to defend Jerusalem to the death. But were they defending Jerusalem because they were zealot for Hashem? Hard to believe if the Beis Amigash was destroyed because of idolatry, murder, and immorality. If we're so worried about to be zealous for my God, would I be doing these things that would make Hashem upset? Perhaps it was more a question of Jewish pride and they were zealous for Judaism. They were jealous for their temple, but not their God. And that's why they failed and they could not defend the Beis Hamikdash. And this is what brings us to the right mindset, Pinchas's mindset, which ultimately made him to become Elio Anovi is to worry it's not about the building. It's not about the base of Migdash alone. It's not about Yerushalayim alone. It's not about Eretz Yisrael alone. The great Chorben was the Chorben of people not feeling that God was their God. And that was destroyed. And that really destroys, as we say, the Yerushalayim Shalmaila, the Yerushalayim above. And therefore, when that is not existent, there's no point in saving the building. The building is of no use because the real source is it's our God. And we can never mistake, always do not confuse heroism, Mesiras Nevesh, with zealousy for Hashem are two separate issues. And we have to remember that that's what we have to be zealous we, if we want to go and have a base on Migdash, it's not because of Jewish pride. It's not for da, the Jews now will come back to restore their historical um, uh, greatness. It's a, the lost people want to come back and build back everything and want a temple for our Jewish pride. And people who go to the Harabayas should be asking Gedolim, are you doing this because Hashem is your God and this is giving him Nachas Ruach? Or it's because you believe in Mesiris Nefesh, notwithstanding giving Hashem Nachas Ruach. Shilas to ask your Rav. But now let's take it a step further. What was the real greatness of Pinchas? Okay, we understand it, that greatness, but where did it come from? All of a sudden, a no-man. We didn't know anything about Pinchas until today. All of a sudden, a nobody comes along and becomes the hero of the story. See, here I'd like to share with you an idea that I've expressed many times in the past, but it needs to be repeated. Sometimes the greatest lessons of the Torah are not by what the Torah says, but by what the Torah omits. And let's look back and take an analysis. There's a lot we can learn about Pinchas before he comes to this story, even though we don't know anything about it. What do I mean? Torah says it was Pinchas ben Alazar ben Aaron Akoye. Pinchas was the son of Alazar, the son of Aaron Akoye. Now, was Pinchas a Kohen at the time of the revolt when he killed Cosby and Zimri? And the answer is no. Because when Hashem separated Aaron and his descendants from the tribe of Levi, 
and they were no longer considered regular Levites, but they now were Kohanim. And therefore, they did not have the jobs of Gershon, Kahas, and Merori, who were given the regular jobs of in the Beis Amigdash, because Aaron was taken out of that group. And therefore, Aaron and his four sons were the Kohanim that Hashem established. And then Hashem said, any children to be born afterwards from them would be Kohanim. However, there were children who already were born, such as Pinchas ben Elazar. And Pinchas, who was already uh, capable of being a Kohen, was not chosen to be a Kohen. Let's think about this. You got the tribe of Levi, and now separated from the tribe of Levi are, is from the family of Amram, okay, descendants of Kehos. But from that family, they're able to have Kohanim. So they're extracted out of the being Levim. Aaron's a Kohen, Elazar's a Kohen, Pinchas's brothers to be born are Kohanim. And 40 years have passed since the revolution, since they came into the desert. They're all Kohanim. His cousins are Kohanim. But he's not a Kohen. How do you think he felt? Isn't that like, like such a slap in the face? It's not something people didn't notice. We got Elazar, Isamar, there are the children, all working as Kohanim. Pinchas, no. And I'm not even sure if he gets any rights as a Levi, because he's not part of a, a Levi family. And now, what happens? He has been over, overlooked. Now, how would you feel if you were overlooked like that? And, of course, Pinchas was a great person. He was no slouch. Everybody in your family has been picked, but not you. I wonder what people are saying behind his back. Ooh, what, what must be wrong with Pinchas? So what does he do? What do we find out? Nothing, nothing. Now, it wasn't too much later after that initial um, insult, so to speak, oversight or whatever you want to call it, came along the rebellion of Korach. And Korach was insulted for something much less than that. He was able to carry the Aram, but he didn't get to become a, a bit of a, a, of a tribal head in a certain area. And for that, he makes a revolution. Now, you can imagine when he's making the revolution, he's probably going to get people to join him, such as Dawson and Aviram and others who felt they wanted honor. Don't you think perhaps he went over to Pinchas and maybe asked Pinchas, maybe you want to join me? I could use a person who should be a Kohen. We don't hear anything about Pinchas. Nothing. Why? Do you think Pinchas went off the derech? I don't think so in spite of things going awfully wrong for Pinchas, you can be sure every day he put on talus and tefillin, every day he davened, every day he learned Torah, 
and 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 he could hear everybody saying, "Oh, the Kohanim doing this, Kohanim doing that, Levine getting this, Levine getting that." He don't get nothing. As a matter of fact, I don't even know where he would live. He wouldn't get a nachla. I don't know. He has no hope. He is literally what we talked about last week, a homeless Jew. Shouldn't he have reacted in some way? He does not react. And I would add in, probably when people ask him, Pinchas, how are you feeling? Pinchas would have said something like this. You know, the Piazetzna Rebbe says we're supposed to imagine what would happen in between the lines. It's a mitzvah to say this. These weren't people we'd call, uh, what do you call, historical fiction, but it has emes to it. You can imagine, you'll go to Pinchas. So what are you, what are you doing today, Pinchas? Well, I'm going to be sitting in Kailal and learning and teaching Torah and helping people. Yeah, but aren't you upset that you're not a Kohen? He says, you know what? Hashem's the boss. And Hashem will only do what's good for everybody, including myself. And if Hashem did not make me a coin, he must have had a very good reason to not make me a coin. So they say, yeah, what? I don't know. It's not my job to know. My job is to know one thing. I'm a shliach of Hashem. And if the shlichus right now is not to serve as a coin, then that's my shlichus. My shlichus is to be a good Jew who's been overlooked, so to speak, who's been insulted. And that's my shlichus. How long did he keep that shlichus? Well, the Kohanim started at the beginning of Sefer Bamidvor. This story of the Midianite and Moabite women is 38 years later. Do you realize, Rabbi Yisai, Pinchas for 38 years did not know Hashem's cheshbon? For 38 years, he's a good Jew waiting for his own personal redemption. For my bias of my Yeshua. And perhaps, and Pinchas saying, this is my, this is my tafkid. And for this I'm happy, and I have no idea why he's doing it. I have complete faith in HaKadosh Baruch Oh, but yes, but Hashem was waiting. He's waiting and waiting. Because in this situation, there's a very famous question. And what about Moshe? Why didn't Moshe stand up and stop, stop the uprising? Where were the gedolim in this story? Why is this no one, Pinchas, this nobody comes? And I can't get into all the details. We require a much lengthier Parsha class. But basically what was happening is there was a revolution against the establishment. The establishment was Moshe. The establishment was Elazar. The establishment is Yehoshua. These were all the people who were the leaders. And the... Uh, the, the Yetzirah of Arias was so strong at this point. They wanted to change certain laws. They wanted Jewish people to go woke and to say, "We, you know what? We should be part. We should be inclusive. We should include Midianite women. We'll be makar of them. We'll be magayer them." And it was an attack against the establishment, and the establishment was insulted. Where. 
Zimri said to Moshe, and who allowed you to marry a shiksa? And Moshe, when he was reminded of the halacha by Pinchas, that if someone does this terrible aver, what's the law? Isn't it kanoim pogimba? The zealots can kill the person. Moshe says, you're right. So wasn't Moshe a zealot? The answer is, he couldn't be a proper zealot because he couldn't say he was 100% L'shaim Shemaim. He got insulted. It was an attack against the establishment. And even if he wasn't insulted, it would look like he was insulted. The situation was such that the establishment was being attacked and it wouldn't appear that they were responding for the sake of heaven. So now Hashem had been preparing Pinchas for 38 years. For this moment, the one who the establishment left out and certainly had no axe to grind for the establishment. And he gets up and says, you're all wrong. And even then they wanted to kill him, but Hashem did a miracle. This is the Pinchas, who was what? He was jealous for his God. And you don't become jealous for your God in one night. It was 38 years. He was zealous for Hashem all 38 years, even if it was not for his benefit. For 38 years, he was waiting, and he had a moon and Hashem, that although things aren't as why I would have imagined it should be for me, but if this is what Hashem wants, he knows what he's doing. And had this event not happened, Pilchus would have been just as happy. But then when it came time and now he sees, now he's the one who for 38 years says, I'm not going to get any high profile jobs. I'm just going to be what I am, an Erlich Yid. But it's that Erlich Yid who feels the insult to Hashem's honor. He doesn't make any calculations. You know why? Because he hasn't been making calculations for 38 years. And now he doesn't have to calculate. He says, this is not proper. And he could do it, and no one could say anything. No, but even then, they still tried. They were shocked. They wanted to kill him. The malachim stopped. Then they tried to impute his reputation because of his grandfather from his mother's side, from, from Yisro. To which Hashem says, no, 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 no. He's the son of Aaron. This was a, a, a pure, holy soul. Hashem was preparing for this moment. We had, we just went through so many difficult times with Korach. We have Korach. We had the, we had the spies. We had Korach. And this was all bad news, but Pinchas was not involved in any of that business. Who had good reason to join. Chukas were dealing with a Chok. You know what the real Chok that we're living through? Well, in that parsha, many Chukim, but one of the Chukim is where is Pinchas? Where is Pinchas? You have to pick a leader. Why not pick Pinchas? No. And now we have Balak. We see the destruction of the Jewish people. They're almost going to get annihilated had it not been for Pinchas. Had it not been for Pinchas, there would have been no Jewish people left. And that's what Hashem was grooming him for 38 years. Don't you think Parshas Chukas, there's a 38-year gap from the Paraduma till... The end of the Parsha. And the biggest chok is for 38 years, Pinchas didn't say anything. How does a person live that way? Because he understands a chok. It's etched in him. He has to follow the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's Rabbi Sayar's job. We have to be Pinchas. 
Not everything goes according to the way we would think it should be. And many of us, do we respond the way Pimchas does and say, this is the Ratzon Hashem and I'm the Simcha in doing the Ratzon Hashem, even though I don't see a future. Many of us don't see a future for having trouble with Shaduchim, having trouble with having children or having trouble with our children or having trouble of losing jobs or not seeing a future, whatever it is. My goodness, Pinchas could do it for 38 years. And then the redemption came only because he accepted not his fate, but he accepted his shlichus. And one last point. We'll end with a beautiful story. Rabbi Yaakov Galinsky, Zichron Levracha, was a bacher who survived the war and made his way to Eretz Yisrael. He met a man there who was extremely depressed. This man had gone through the war not knowing where his wife and kids were. It took a few years after the war ended until he heard that they all perished. Nebuchadnezzar, he lost his will to live. Rav Yaakov Galinsky took the man to speak to the Chazonish. And the man poured out his heart, telling him how hard it was for him to go on. He spoke about how after all his suffering, he had lost hope. And the Chazanish heard him and gave him a hug. And the Chazanish himself had also had a life of tremendous Yisurim and never had any children. Then he told him the following story. And we know the Chazanish was not Hasidish. But as I've always said, it's not such a big difference in Hasidim and great yeshiva shalitvish tzaddikim. Because they all come to the same core. So the Chazanish told him the following story. There once was a well-to-do Jew who was an expert businessman. Once a year he would travel to the big market in the Leipzig fair where he would sell his products. And the proceeds of that once a year trip would sustain the family for the entire year. One year he got sick right before the fair and he knew he couldn't go. And there was no choice, but he had to send his wife instead. And of course, the wife was very anxious since she's never been to the market before. She didn't know anything about doing business. And he gave her explicit instructions about where to go and what to do. And she set out to the market, to the fair with a large amount of money. When she got there, she suddenly realized that her money bag was gone. She panicked. Then she saw some other Jews at the market and asked them to help her. And they all started looking for the money bag. And it was discovered that a Jew, a from Jew on the other side of the fair had found the money bag. And the woman went to him and she saw to her relief that he seemed to be an Ehrlich Yid. And she described her story and gave the description of the bag and its contents. It was exactly so. And when she finished, the man said, Madam, I feel really sorry for you. I really do. But the halacha says that if a person loses his money in a public place where the majority of the people are non-Jews, he has surely given up hope. We call that yeush. He's given up hope of having his money returned to him. And once it's yeush, Bezdin says it's hefker, it's ownerless. And since I found your money when it was Hefker, it became mine. And guess what? This money can support my family for an entire year. 
I'm sorry, but I can't give it to you because it's not yours anymore. Now, honestly, that seems to be what the Allah is. If you lose money in a place where, you know, it's a lot of non-Jews, you can say, like, forget it. Now, when the woman heard that, she was shocked. She tried to argue with the man, but he insisted Allah was on his side. So finally, the woman went to a local Rav to ask him to arbitrate the dispute. Well, the Rav heard both sides and felt that the man who had found the money was in the right apihalacha. Again, according to the letter of the law. I don't know if that's the spirit of the law. But the Rav felt so much pity for the woman, he decided to send the question to the great posek, the posek hador, Rav Yitzchak Elchanan Specter. And Rav Yitzchak Elchanan heard both sides and he issued his ruling. And he said that the woman was in the right and the money should be returned to her. Now the man was ready to obey the psak, but he asked, doesn't it say in Shulchan Aruch that when someone loses something in a public area that has a majority of non-Jews, it can be assumed that he lost hope and therefore becomes ownerless? Sir so Specter said, yes, that's true. But in this case, the money never belonged to the woman. The money belongs to her husband, Alpi Halacha. The wife was never a shaliach for the husband. Or rather, I'm sorry, the wife was only a shaliach for the husband. She was only a shaliach for the husband. But she wasn't the owner. The true owner of the money never lost hope. You know why? Because the husband was not aware that it went missing. And the money never became ownerless. Therefore, the man who found it may not keep it. Because a shaliach, a messenger, has no right to give up hope because he's not the owner of the lost object. That was the story the Chazonish told this man who lost his family in the war. And he said, Rabid, are you the boss over what happened? Are you the owner over yourself? Over your family? Aren't you but a shaliach, a messenger of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? And it is he who determines the field that we operate on. He decides what happens to us. We have to do our jobs and pray that we succeed. Who gave you permission to give up and be miyayesh and be in despair? You see, a shaliach is never allowed to lose hope. You were put in this world as a messenger from Hashem to accomplish a mission of giving hope, love, and life to others. Who gave you the right to give up hope? You are not the owner of your own life. Hashem is. Therefore, you must be a loyal messenger and keep on trying. And Rav Galinsky used to repeat this story over and over through for Yidim to never lose hope. Rabbi Sai, if we could remember this message, now who could we say this story better than for Pinchas, who knew it was not my right to give up hope. I'm just a shaliach of Hashem. And those of us that can be a shaliach of Hashem during the most difficult times, will be richly rewarded by Hashem with a breeze shalom, a breeze of shalom, of peace, of long life. 
to realize just like Pinchas was a shliach Hashem and, and it turned out it was perfect. It was a perfect shliach. And we have no right to be miyayish on the Mashiach to come. And we have no right to be miyayish for our own personal problems. If, if you haven't seen the Yeshua yet, it's because it's still coming. Or you already are in the place where you're supposed to be. But always say, this is the best. I'm always happy with what's going on. I am a Pimchas. And that's how we start the three weeks. He is our hero. Never imagine that one day he'd be Elio Anavi. But it's that same um, fidelity to the Shlichus which turned plain old, quote unquote, Elio Pimchas uh, to become Elio Hanavi, Elio Atishbi, Elio Agiladi, Bimheira Yavo. Let him come quickly. And all of us together who will have Pimchas' attitude and will be Messianic Shlichim. For HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Bimheira V'yameinu, we will see the great Yeshua for Klal Yisrael and ourselves and everyone. Bimheira V'yameinu, Amen. Have a very successful three weeks where we don't give up hope on anything. Have a good Erev Shabbos.